continuing in our series, Repentance That Leads to Joy. And uh, one of the pleasures that we have this morning is to hear from one of our members, our, our, actually one of our new members, Miss um, Jane Stone is going to come and she's going to give a testimony to you about her life. She actually has started a new group on Wednesday nights called Total Surrender. And uh, she can tell you a little bit more about that. But we're excited. So why don't you welcome Jane Stone to hear from her this morning. Yes. Good morning. My name is Jane Stone. And I am so grateful to be here with you this morning at Northwest Baptist. And I'm honored to share what God has done in me and what I believe he wants to do through me. I am 49 years old, and 41 of those years, I have struggled with pain, guilt, shame, and alcoholism. I was not living the life that God has created for me, and I was blinded by my pride. And out of desperation, I prayed for the courage to be honest, and God did his work. And he saved me and rescued me. And I have been free for two years. And I am a servant of Christ. My heart's desire now is to help other women find this freedom, this peace, and this joy. We started a group on Wednesday nights called Total Surrender. And we meet at 630. This group is just not for the alcoholic. This group is for any woman that may be stuck. And if there is anybody in this room that may be thinking to themselves that I could never tell anybody what I did or God will never forgive me for what I've done or that there is no hope, dear friend, that is a lie of the enemy. Please let us help you. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Awesome job. Yeah, I'll put it on there. Thank you, Jane. Great job. It's good to hear from God's people when they come up and share what God has done in their life. It takes a lot of courage to get up here and do that. And we're excited for the women that meet on Wednesday nights that get to uh, open the word together, walk through scripture together and be encouraged no matter where they find themselves. And this is for all of us. No matter where we find ourselves, the Lord wants to bring healing and restoration for his people. And I believe that's what he wants us to do as a church. And this is what we've been talking about last week in Vision Weekend and this year. Is he wants for God's church to raise up and say, we want to take the broken people of this world. We want to take the people without hope and give them the gospel of grace and find healing in Christ alone. And one of the ways that we see this happening is believing in our own hearts that repentance brings joy. 
And uh, last week we talked about this from Psalm chapter 126, dealing with the heart of revival in our own hearts and God's restoration, bringing about this joy that is unspeakable in our hearts. We were reminded that complete satisfaction in our God actually brings joy to every single area of our life. This life is but a vapor. But when Christ is our life, the fleeting things of this world are not our life. We can actually enjoy the circumstances, whatever they may be, we find ourselves in. So this morning we continue this thought process of repentance bringing joy by the testimony of a life forgiven and set free. And the testimony is from David himself. As we open the book to Psalm chapter 32, David himself writes a psalm of instruction. And this psalm of instruction is for us today. Remember, David is the king of Israel who has a heart for God. God calls him a man after God's own heart. And yet, David, even though he yearns for God, has a heart for God, is a sinner. Just like all of us in this room A man who has rebelled against God and gone his own way. His sin is chronicled for us in the Bible, in the story of David and Bathsheba. David's story begins with him on a roof. He finds himself... On a roof looking at a woman bathing. But the problem is he's not supposed to be on this roof. He's actually supposed to be at war with his army. The time where kings are supposed to be at war, David is on his roof looking out. And he finds himself watching a woman bathing. And he lusts after her. And instead of repenting, From his sin, he doubles down and he commits adultery with her. And instead of repenting of his adultery, he continues to try to cover his sin. And when he tries to cover his sin and it does not work, he commits murder of Uriah the Hittite and marries Bathsheba. And this story unfolds and we are given the end of the story of one who has been forgiven and set free. But sin is wicked and sin is twisted and leads one down a path where one finds themselves in a place where they feel as if there is no way out. But this is not the end of the story, and David writes this psalm of instruction 
that tells us what happiness in this life looks like. And is through a repentant heart. So open with me to Psalm chapter 32 where we are instructed by David about happiness in this life. If you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word, we, we read God's word as we do here at Northwest Baptist because we believe that the word of God has all authority in our life and also speaks to our heart. Psalm chapter 32, the middle of your Bibles, this is a mascal of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but stead loves Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we find joy and gladness in your forgiveness. Father, may you speak truth to our hearts in a time in which we need it. Father, as the world becomes more and more chaotic, may we speak the truth of the word of God into our hearts and minds. And Father, may we find joy and gladness in your salvation And may we help others to find that joy and gladness that we have found in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know if you remember uh, this Tom Hanks movie, but it was called Cast Away. And uh, me and my wife actually watched it this week. I told her, hey, we have to watch this movie. It's for the sermon prep, I promise. And so we have to, we had to watch Cast Away. And we, 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 we rented this movie. But in the movie, Tom Hanks uh, becomes stranded on this island. He goes from this clean-shaven businessman that's always on time and cares about his time, cares about his business. He likes to travel. He travels the world for his business. And he be- becomes this man who lives in a cave. And, and there's, this, there's this phrase in the movie that says four years later, right? And then it comes onto the screen, four years later. And he's been on this island and, 
And he shows his, this full beard with the hair just falling everywhere. His ribs are popping out. He lost a ton of weight. And he talks to a volleyball. Yeah. But one of the most interesting things when you watch this movie is the anguish and the suffering he endures almost. He's just angry at life. He's proposed to his, his wife before he leaves on this airplane. And he has no one to talk to. And the suffering that he is under just trying to survive. He's trying to find food. Can't get to the fish. He's trying to find water and he ends up having this leaf where he's trying to lick the drops of water off the leaf. He's trying to get out of the heat. He's trying to find somewhere to go in the midst of the storm. He's trying to find companionship. He is complete agony in his situation. And when I read this psalm, I, I thought to myself, it sounds very familiar with what David was going through in his spirit, in his body, in his bones, the weight of sin bearing down upon him. Look at verse three. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. The weight of sin and shame was almost overbearing. It brought him to a point of despair. And it, and it says in the, in the text that it's truly the hand of God. But if you think about this, it's truly the gracious hand of God bringing someone in the midst of their sin to the point of misery, wallowing in the own stench of their sin. Why? Because they come to the reality of their sin. And ultimately, a heart of repentance that brings joy it becomes so overwhelming for them that all they can do is look up. You think of the prodigal son where he's wallowing in the stench of the pig's food and he's smelling that and he thinks to himself, if only I could go back to my father. If only I could do that. And he looks up and he returns. God's people aren't meant to stay in that state. This is not the abundant life that Christ talks about. God's people are meant to find happiness in this life. Not the happiness that you might think, but an enjoyment in God himself. Why? Because they are forgiven and set free. If you ask a few people in this world, and I, 
I wanted to ask like 100 people this week, but I couldn't find 100 people that would talk to me. I don't know, there might be a pandemic or something going on, I'm not sure. But if you ask a few random people, and maybe you, you have more contact than I do with people on a weekly basis, but if you ask a few people what brings you happiness is a good question to ask. What, what are some of the answers that you get? My stuff? My food, my job, my family, Buffalo Bills winning the Super Bowl. I don't know what they're going to say. But how many people would say, I am happy because my sin is forgiven? But here, David understands the weight of sin and the beauty of the gospel itself. The beauty of God's great grace in forgiveness of sin. And he says, I am happy because I am forgiven. If you look at that at the beginning of chapter 32, right at the beginning, it says a maskal of David. Maskal, it literally means, literally means an instruction, a warning, an admonition. And David, through the spirit of the living God, wants to instruct God's people about what forgiveness gives. It gives blessing, it gives happiness, it gives joy. This was actually St. Augustine's favorite psalm. Augustine had it inscribed on the wall next to his bed before he died in order to meditate on it better. So he had the whole psalm on the wall as he would look at it before he died in in his sickbed. And he liked it as he said, because the beginning of knowledge is to know oneself to be a sinner. The beginning of knowledge is to know oneself to be a sinner. And look at this text. David himself says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. This is point number one this morning. It says this, forgiven is blessed. To be forgiven is to be blessed. David begins the psalm with the word blessed. Like the Sermon on the Mount, forgiveness is something that David takes seriously. The gospel and the grace of God is something that David himself takes seriously. The word blessed is a heightened state of happiness and joy, implying a very very favorable circumstance and an enjoyment, the state of being in joy. We all want that at this time in our life, don't we? I don't think there's a morning in which I get up and I don't read the news and I become depressed, right? I, I, I wake up, I look at the news, and I'm automatically going, why did I just do that? Shouldn't have done that. It ruins my day. 
And we are in this search of happiness all the time. The world is telling us, do this and you'll be happy. Do this and you'll be happy. Do this. And we should pay attention to what the word of God says about happiness in our own life. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. David uses three words to describe sin. What we are forgiven from, this word called sin. I want to comb the depths of the meaning here of these three words for a minute. Transgression. What does that mean? It means going away. It means rebellion against God's authority. It, it's a strong word against, against God himself. It is completely knowing God has determined to do this and doing it anyway. The clearest picture we have of this transgression is the beginning of Adam and Eve in the garden. There's a clear law, don't eat fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And there is clear rebellion. I want, therefore I take and I eat. It's sin, transgression. Often people say, well, I sinned against the order of nature, or I sinned against my spouse, my children, against the Constitution, you, or I sinned against myself, but you have not gotten to the bottom of the blackness of your sin until you see that it is flat rebellion against God himself. The second word, sin, that he uses blesses is the one whose transgression is, is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Is the closest word we have for in the, in the Hebrew to the Greek word hamartia, which means to miss the mark. It's an archery term to fall short of the standard, to miss the bullseye, to miss the perfect law. It doesn't measure up. The third word is an interesting word. I'll spend most of my time here. It's called iniquity. It deals with the twisted and crooked nature of sin and how sin affects the person. How sin deeply entrenches and roots inside of the person to actually change the nature and the heart of the person. The third word, iniquity, rounds out the idea of sin in this way. The first word, transgression, deals with our sin against God himself. The second word deals with our sin in relationship to God's law. And the third word, iniquity, deals with our sin in relation to ourselves and what we become. God's creation becoming perverted. You see, the degree in which we become involved in sin, we become both twisted and twisting creatures as a result of the sin which so easily we are entangled in and it changes our being. In, if left unchecked, iniquity leads to unnatural affections for the world. It leads to willful sin and no fear of God. Look at David, a man after God's own heart. Sin becomes his master when there is no repentance. It 
David is instructing us that it will warp our minds and cause us to live for something that will never satisfy. David was so warped in his mind by the time he had finished that he thought that having Uriah killed was actually beneficial for him, Bathsheba, and the child. And this is a man after God's own heart that writes the Psalms. If we think that we are bigger than sin, or if we think that sin will not find us, we are completely mistaken. We must be on guard as God's people. By the way, I, I, uh, we have these new Northwest Men shirts. We gave them out at the men's breakfast this week. And um, you can have one if you want. We have plenty. So if you want one, just go to the office and get one. But on the back, it has 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. And the first thing it says is be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like a man. Be strong and do all in love. But the first word there, be alert. And the reality is that if we are not alert, sin is crouching at the door of our hearts our minds, and we will wake up one day not knowing how we got in the position that we are in. David sees not sin here in this passage, and he takes it seriously. And then he uses three words to describe what God does in these first two verses. He forgives, he covers and he doesn't count it against us. Forgiven means to be lifted off the weight of transgression against the holy God. Think of it as, as, as someone carrying around these sandbags of sin. It's just weighing them down. And the Lord says, you are forgiven. And he lifts them off. And they're able to move about with their life for the glory of God. Sometimes we are just frozen in our sin can't move, we're stuck, we're entrenched and just bogs us down and God wants to free us of the sin that so easily entangles us. The second word is, is covered. And this picture is, is all over the Old Testament of atonement. It's, it's the blood that is covering the sin and the sinner. It, in, in, in the Old Testament, they would, they would walk into the Holy of Holies where the, the Ark of the Covenant was and in, in the wings of the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God and, and on this, this, this mercy seat on top of, uh, on top of the, the Ark was, was the place where they would sprinkle the blood and in the Ark was the, the broken Ten Commandments and, and so the broken law, the blood was covering the broken law in which the people had and it separated the blood, separated the, the broken law or the broken people who had, who had gone against the law 
law and the presence of God himself. And it's the symbol of this holy and righteous God and the blood covering, and that's what Christ does. He covers our sin. A Sunday school teacher was teaching in her class about how the eyes of the Lord are in every place, and she asked follow-up questions to see if her children understood. She asked, is there anything God cannot see? And to her surprise, the little girl raised her hand and said, do you know something that an all-seeing God cannot see? And the little girl said, yes, ma'am, I know one thing God can't see. God can't see my sin when it is covered by the blood of Jesus. You see, that girl had good theology. For God indeed counts us as righteous. All those who are covered by the blood of the righteous one who is our advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sin is covered. The third idea is the Lord does not count. It's an accounting term that describes sin as not going into our column. There's no debt to pay. The sin goes upon Christ and the cross and we are declared righteous and free. Abraham is considered a man of faith and as a result, God declared him righteous. But the point is that we are forgiven, the weight is lifted off, we are covered and it's not counted against us. I think the best way the psalmist describes that in Psalm chapter 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And then there's this interesting line here in verse 2, the end of verse 2, and in whose spirit... There is no deceit. We can just skim over this. And oftentimes when we're reading the Bible, we skim over these small lines because we don't really understand what that means. And yet when we read this passage, we have to understand what the Lord is speaking to us, there is no deceit, there is no deception, there is no fraud. You see, repentance brings about freedom because we recognize or acknowledge our sin before a holy God. When we don't repent, when we don't confess, when we don't acknowledge our sin before a holy God, we deceive ourselves. We justify our sin. It's not that bad. God really doesn't care that much. I am better than that person. And we as the church 
must come alongside one another, examining our own hearts first, but encouraging one another to take sin seriously. That we need to understand that this sin is not only breaking the holy law of God, but it is against God himself, and it is twisting our mind to believe that somehow it is okay. There's a book by Paul David Tripp called Dangerous Calling, Confronting the Unique Challenges of Pastoral Ministry. And, he, and in the book, Paul David Tripp deals with the issues of pastors and confronting the issues of pastors' hearts in pastoral ministry. And he says that there are many pastors who are in unhealthy relationships with their church and with themselves and their heart isn't reflecting the gospel in their life and only in their public ministry. And on the back of the book, and I was going over this with one of my pastor friends, and on the back of the book, there's six famous pastors who endorse this book. Three of them are no longer in ministry because of their sin. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy not only the pastors, but God's church. His community group leaders, his deacons, elders. He wants to completely discredit the gospel itself. And he wants to do it through sin. David recounts his own experience of what happened in his life when he was going through sin. Verse three, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. God's grace in someone's life is when they are living in sin and their life is miserable. And often when you're living in sin, your life is miserable. It affects your family, affects the people around you, it affects your job, it affects your own self-esteem, it affects everything in your life and God has placed his hand upon those that he loves. He disciplines those he loves. Galatians 6, 7 says this, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he reap. But that's not the end of the story. And if we left, if we, if we stayed there, this would be a Debbie Downer. And I don't want a Debbie Downer. I acknowledged my sin and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And guess what happened? And you forgave the iniquity of my heart. What did the Lord do? He forgave the iniquity of 
my heart. I want I want you to see though what what he's doing here. He's acknowledging my sin. He's not covering up my iniquity. He's confessing my transgressions to the Lord. You see those words, Selah, after the, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. <clears throat> Selah is a pause and take notice. But there is no pause and take notice between David's confession and God's forgiveness. Why? Because it's immediate. David is immediately forgiven when he acknowledges his sin, when he does not cover his iniquity, and he confesses his transgression before the Lord. Blessed are those who are forgiven. Look at verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time... When you may be found, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance, Selah. This is our second point this morning. Come to the Lord for healing. Come to the Lord for freedom. Come to the Lord for deliverance. Come to the Lord for restoration. Whatever word you want to use there, you can use. Come to the Lord for healing. David himself has received God's forgiveness. He has testified to his place of misery and now his forgiven state and now he is calling all of you, God's people, to come to the Lord for healing, to experience the grace of God for yourself there is a sense of urgency in his call. He calls people to offer a prayer when God may be found. It's a sobering reminder that there are limits to God's grace. One of the limits of God's grace is death. When we die upon this earth, we will be judged. Every man is appointed to live once and then face judgment. If you think about the rush of great waters, you think about Noah and the ark and the flood of God's wrath being poured out upon humanity. Why? Because of sin, rebellion against God. The wrath of God does come upon sinners. And yet, the psalmist, David himself, is calling everyone who is godly to offer a prayer at a time when God may be found. Psalm 86.5 says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. You see, God desires to forgive sin, but we must call to him. We must pray to him. We must go to him. We must look up to him. 
It's so interesting that in parable of the, the lost son or the prodigal son, he looks up and he goes. When he gets there, the father is already welcoming him back. Before he even gets out a word of repentance and saying, sorry, dad, I, I messed up. I, I've sinned against you. No, the father is already welcoming him in. Let's, let's bring out the party. The golden calf is here. My, my son has returned. I, he is dead and now he's alive. It, 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 he didn't even have to like verbalize it. It was just a look up and a go and he, he's, he's there. And that's where God is. He wants to be there. Whenever we say, now is the time, we look up to him. We say, I need you, Lord. It's the time where he is there. And he will begin to transform our hearts. He wants to bring healing to our groaning body. He wants to be our refuge and strength. Sin can be forgiven, church. Amen? Sin can be forgiven. We can be set free. And that is a life full of happiness and joy. We are forgiven by the blood of Christ. Sin can be avoided as well. Portia Nelson wrote an essay entitled Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. This is for most Christians. It reads, chapter 1. I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find my way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I am in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5, I walk down another street. All right, amen, yeah, that's good. That is good. That is the Christian life. Proverbs 6, 27, 28, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? It's foolish to put your hand in the fire, then pray for strength to resist the heat, protection from burns and deliverance from scars. Just keep your hand out of the fire. But that progression of man walking around the, the hole, the, he figures out that that is not God's design. And I can walk down another street and find joy. But until he truly repents and truly says, it is my fault, I can't really overcome the sin.
Verse seven, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Imagine somebody, somebody coming to repentance and the church surrounding them with shouts of deliverance and rejoicing. And, and we, we should rejoice, church, when somebody does repent and when a sinner comes and says, I, I want to be set free. We need to come alongside them and shout for deliverance. That's what God does for sinners who repent. God's healing and restoration is not found in a place, but we know it to be found in the person, Jesus Christ. God's wrath was poured out upon Christ. We call that propitiation. But the time for repentance is now. God's time for forgiveness is today. To be delivered from darkness. And we're not talking about just the sinner who has committed adultery. Or the person who is deep, deep darkness. We're talking about the businessman who pours his life into his business and rejects his family. We're talking about the mom who spends more time connecting through social media than she does investing in the life of her children. We're talking about the young man who every once in a while takes a click on the internet. We're talking about children who decide that the authority in their life, their parents, is someone who they should not obey. The time for repentance is now. Because if we continue to live in that sin, we will go down a path of destruction. Verse 6 says, be not like a, or verse 5, I'm sorry, where am I? I'm in verse 8, that's where I am. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Now it turns to the Lord speaking after he has granted deliverance. I will instruct you, teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. This is point number three. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. The forgiven and set free person no longer is bound in the chains of sin and darkness continuing in that cycle of sin. He is able to hear from the Lord and the Lord says, I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way that you should go. Why? Because they are able to hear the words of God. 
They are able to listen to his voice and obey. They are not entrenched in their sin. The, the imagery of a, a writ uh, of a mule or a horse digging in their heels and the owner trying to drag them, this huge creature kicking and streaming. The person who does not walk in the wisdom of the Lord. Imagine this, a, a Christian who, who lives in a life of sin, who knows what the truth of the word of God is, but then continues to live in it. They have been forgiven and set free, and yet they're like a mule and a horse in which God is pulling them, saying, no, you need to go to me. You need to come to me. And they're saying, no, I want to stay where I am. I want to live in my sin. I want to live in the darkness. No, that is not God's design that will not lead us to happiness. Why am I preaching this passage? Because the world tells you all the time, every single day, every single week, every single post, that if you just walk in the way of the world, you will be happy. But God's truth and God's word says, no, you will not be happy. You will be destroyed. You will live a life in which you have nothing. You are groaning with weakness. And we do not want to be Christians. We do not want to be a church in which God is just pulling us. Saying, oh, come on, come back to me. Come back to me. No, we freely go to God. And we walk in wisdom Psalm 1 is very similar to Psalm 32 and both they talk about the blessed man, the happy life, the, the person who lives in the joy of the Lord. Psalm 1 says this, blessed is the man. It starts the same. Blessed is the one in verse 30, in chapter 32 of Psalm, in Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Both of these psalms are the same. There is a wicked and there is a righteous. The two do not mix. Verse 10, many are sorrows of the wicked. But the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. There is wicked and there is righteous. There is blessed and there is a life full of sorrow. You see, this whole psalm is given for a purpose. And the purpose is instruction for God's people. David is basically saying, don't go down the path I went. It's a horrible path. It leads to destruction. God's people rejoice because they're 
sin is forgiven. This is verse 11. This is the end result. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So where are you today? Are you resting in the forgiveness and grace that is offered from the Lord? Are you deceiving yourself? Believing the lie in which the world continues to spit forth over and over again. That you will truly be happy if you live for the world and the pleasures of the world that will fade away. You see, the time is now to be forgiven and set free. I want to leave you, leave you with this image in your mind. They're going to put a picture of a sheep on the screen behind you. That's, that sheep is us. That sheep's name is Shrek. He was found hiding in the cave for six years. He walked away from his shepherd. And his fleece continued to grow without the ability to be cut. When they found him, they shaved off 60 pounds of his wool off his body. An average weight for a sheep when they're, when they're, they're shaved is 10 pounds. And for years he carried that ever-increasing burden because he was away from his shepherd, went on his own. And it took 28 minutes for the shearer to remove the weight of the wool that would suit 20 men, all because the shepherd found him where he was and could heal him and restore him. That's some weight that we carry. Let me read to you what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus wants you to be set free and forgiven. He's already paid for your sins on the cross. And your response is to acknowledge your sin before a heavenly God, to confess that sin and allow Jesus and the blood of Christ to cover your sin. May we be a church that has a heart for people who are broken. May we have a heart to share this message just as David did. But we got to start here with our own hearts. 
digging into the deep recesses of our heart and seeing and acknowledging our sin for what it is, taking sin seriously and making the gospel so precious to us that we acknowledge Christ and the power of the resurrection. We're going to spend some time in prayer right now. Kyle's going to come and worship. I want you to acknowledge your sin before the Lord. If you need somebody to talk to, there's going to be pastors in the back that you can talk to and pray for you. We want to come alongside you and rejoice with shouts of deliverance because that's what God wants for you. So let's pray. Father, we ask right now in this room that if anybody are in need to respond to the word of God in repentance, that they would do so, that they would not be burdened by whatever's happening in this room, but they would respond to you, Father, that they would claim their sin upon themselves. walk to the foot of the cross believing upon Christ Father we know that there's many Christians in this room who are living in unrepentant sin and Father we ask that you would convict their heart that they would confess their sin that today they walk in freedom and we pray that your church Father that, you, that we would rejoice in sinners that repent that we would find healing in your presence with shouts of deliverance. Lord, do a work in our community groups this week. Do a work in our homes this week. Father, may we be people who begin with our own hearts and share this gospel with the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There are pastors in the back. Would you stand and worship? If you need to talk to somebody, please do that right now.